Good morning. How's everybody? How are we doing? <laughs> Ooh, did you lose some power? Yeah, any chainsaws going yesterday? I love chainsawing. Oh, it's so good, so therapeutic. Luke and I will come to your house for $468,254. We'll be glad to come and help you out, yeah. I tell you, I, it, it really is great. It's good stuff. It's therapeutic. I do hope that your power comes back on really, really fast. I know um, the most frustrating thing for me when the power goes out is going into a room and to keep turning the light switch on. And it's like, really? Really, Brian? Anyway. So we're working our way through this teaching series called Lifesavers. Two very simple premises to it. First, uh, there are life-saving truths of Christianity. And we're called to share those life-saving truths with other people, just like the good old-fashioned role of lifesavers. So uh, lifesavers, that's what we're after. Last week, we said that uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you start to come into contact with folks who would disagree with this kind of truth claim, uh, our, the author Gregory Kokel says this, you have 10 seconds to put a stone in somebody's shoe. Begin asking questions. Well, okay, help me understand. Why did you say this? Why is that important for you? What do you think? Why does this matter? What kind of background do you have? But you have 10 seconds to put a stone in somebody else's shoe to begin to ask questions. The goal isn't so much to convert right away, right? We're not wanting to be adversarial or confrontational. We just want to ask questions. Help me, help me understand. Clarify for me. I want to try to get to know you and so on and so forth. So we'll start today with a pop quiz for today's teaching. Serious question, what is the best-selling book of all time? Well, there we go. I knew you would get it because you're super smart people. Absolutely. The Bible, over billions upon billions of copies sold. Now, how we read the Bible is a matter of something else, and what I would share with you today is we tend to read the Bible in one of three ways. You'll find three groups of readers. The first is that the Bible is a book. It's a book. It's one book among many other books. And as it's a book, it has information, it has history, it has poetry, there are proverbs to it, short pithy sayings of wisdom, it has its own unique literature called gospel. Um, it contains information about what the church believes, but it's a book. It's one book above many other, or, uh, along with many other books that might be on my shelf in my library. The second view is that some people would say that Scripture is the good book. The good book. And as the good book, it possesses information about Jesus, about God, about uh, heaven, about uh, traditions of the church. Um, and what's funny is people who tend to call Scripture the good book is it's held with great reverence and authority, but almost at a distance. It's like, ooh. You remember one guy who was at one of the churches that I pastored would bring his Bible in the cardboard box in which he bought it. There was this great reverence for it, and I would be like, so how often are you reading that? Just on Sunday, pastor. I'm like, all right, well, we'll take that. That's a good starting place, but it's the good book. So it's living authoritative, but we kind of hold it at a distance. Now, the third view on Scripture is that it's the book. It's the book. Its words are authoritative, they're living, God's desires for our lives are in it, uh, contains the mighty acts of God for us, they're the bedrock 
of what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ, and we're called to take those words of Scripture in and apply them to our lives and live it out so we can become more like Jesus. Now, here's the thing. The way that we view Scripture, whether it's a book or the good book or the book, very much influences what we do with it. So if it's just a book, you'll hear more often than that, I read it once. I read it. And there are parts that I agree with and parts that I disagree with. The parts that I disagree with, I tend to just throw them out. And the Bible contains uh, words that tell us what it is uh, to be good and know goodness and have goodness, but it's based on really old traditions that exist. Uh, there are errors in, the, in, in that book. The book is outdated. It celebrates violence. It mistreats people. It's exclusionary. You'll hear all of these kinds of things who, for people, the Bible is just a book. Now, for folks who say it's the good book, you hear, I don't read it much, but I have great reverence and respect for God's Word, and I'll agree with what the church says about it. It tells me uh, about my desire to be good and to be on God's side. Now, here's the interesting thing. The people who are the good book people and a book people, have you ever noticed they fight a lot about what Scripture says? And usually this pours out on some social media, media outlet. So the a good, or, or a book people, the good book people, they tend to fight a lot about what it says, and if you disagree with what the good book says, we're going to rumble. Are we tracking? Now the people who are the book people, they read it lots, there's reverence and respect for the word of God. It's not so much about whether I agree or disagree, because there are some parts of scripture that will really get under your skin if you read it. Are you with me? It's not whether I agree or disagree, but how do I have union with God? And maybe, just maybe, the parts that I disagree with are the parts that I need to hear or listen to all the more. I want to live into God's definition of goodness to be equipped for every good work of loving other people well and sharing the truths of God. And in that, uh, I'm formed and shaped by the Bible. So here's the thing. These views of Scripture very much influence the way that we do and live the Christian life. If the scriptures are for you just a book, more often than not, you'll live your life according to your own experience. This is what I think is good, this is what I think is right, and more often than not, people you have conversations with are going to be uh, based uh, upon your different interpretations of that experience. And here's the way it manifests in our current culture. People will say, that might be your truth, but that's not my truth. Are we close? Yeah, so if you're having that kind of conversation, realize if you start pulling out scripture to talk to people, like it's, it's just a book. And that's one view. We need to honor that, okay? It, it's just a book. If you're a good book person, recognize for good book people, what tends to be most authoritative in those folks' lives is what the church says. Church says this, that's it. Tradition tends to be uh, the way that you live your life. And if you're a the book person, scripture as inspired and interpreted by the Holy Spirit is my guide. So you might even sit in a church and go, mm, I don't know about that because what does the scripture say? What you talking about, Willis? There are some in my age group who know, knows where that comes from. I appreciate you. Love you guys. So here's the thing. That brings us into today. The conversation you're going to have with people tends to revolve around this issue of experience. 
my experience versus your experience and so on and so forth. And for the A-book people, more often than not, they don't hold Scripture to be authoritative. And the reason for this goes back 300 years. In fact, the start of it was with uh, someone, a philosopher named David Hume. There he is. Smoking hot David Hume. So, David hot... That's bad. I think I just said that on TV. David Hume was a British philosopher. And David Hume said this, we may conclude that the Christian religion not only was at first attended with miracles, but even at this day cannot be believed by any reasonable person without one. And this is why I love the Brits, because it takes you a minute to think about it. So, all right, you get it? So the idea behind this is very simple. Um, the scriptures, the Christian religion, are filled with, with miracles, and it takes a miracle to believe that the scriptures or the Christian religion is even true. Are we tracking? And this line of thinking has very much undercut the authority of scripture for 300 years. It's just a book. It's filled with errors, celebrates violence, etc., etc. What does scripture, though, say about scripture? And to do that, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, which starts just like... We're on a little delay here. I'm going to read it for you. Here we go. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's share this last part together. You ready? Here we go. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There we go. So what Paul shares with us from the very beginning is this, that there are evil people and imposters. And in the church that Timothy was, was serving, there were these folks who were trying to constantly pull people away from the truth of God. You don't need to believe that. I mean, really? Is that... Are you serious right now? Because here's the thing. You know, my truth says, or this religion says, or that person's experience says, there are evil people and imposters who are leading people astray from the truths of the Christian faith. And if you live a godly life, Paul says... What are they going to do? They're going to pull you away from grasping, like we talked about last week, grasping for more of God in your life. Now, of course, this never happens. Never. In fact, it would not even be a part of Scripture itself. In the third chapter of the Bible, the book of Genesis, what's the first thing that happens? An evil person, an imposter, tries to pull the man and the woman away from the truth of God. God's words to the people were this, hey, this garden, this creation, it's totally yours. Enjoy it. Take care of it. Be a good steward of it. And the imposter comes along and says, did God really say? 
You can't eat from any tree in the garden. I mean, it's the original example of gaslighting. Are you with me? And they go, oh, what, what did God say? What? And here's the thing, guys. If you eat of this fruit, you're not going to die because God loves you. I mean, he made you. He's been looking after you. You guys are a pain in the neck. You're always running around creation, breaking something. He fixes it. Come on. Yeah, seriously. He couldn't have meant that. And here's the thing, guys. If you eat of this fruit, you are going to be just like God. You're going to know good and evil. It's going to be amazing. So why don't you just do it? Give it a try. Evil people, imposters, pulling us away from the truths of God. Friends, here is the first lifesaver I want to share with you today. Whenever you're faced with a decision in life, ask yourself this. Does this decision lead me closer to or further from God's truth as contained in Scripture? Does this decision lead me closer to or further from God's truth as contained in Scripture? And some of you are saying, well, I'm trying to decide whether or not to uh, sign a new mortgage today. Like, where's that in the index? Fair enough. Fair enough. Is every single instance in your life going to be contained in Scripture specifically? No. But if you look at the overarching principles, like, do I need it? Is it good? Can I afford it? Does it put me in the bondage of another God called money? You can apply every single question in your life with scriptural principles. Does it lead me closer to God or further from God? And here's the thing, friends. We've had too many folks who've led us away from God's truth as contained in Scripture. Not my truth, not, you know, the tradition of the, uh, of the church truth, not your truth, but God's truth as contained in Scripture. And when, when life comes at you, when life gets hard, the question you have to ask yourself is, what are you going to fall back upon if you don't have God's truth? I was reminded of this 15 years ago. Uh, I celebrate, I should say, a, a milestone. I, I'm still here. Because 15 years ago, there was an experience in my life. I didn't know if I was going to be here or not. So I got on this plane uh, from Washington, D.C., headed to Louisville, Kentucky. And it's one of those two-and-two two jobs. And how many of you know when you got that, you're like, oh. Because all that has to happen is a very breath goes forth in the atmosphere, and you're doing this the whole time. Was it a good flight? Yeah, it was really great. Thanks. And so sure enough, there's 50-mile-an-hour winds on the ground in Louisville, and we're flying there, and the whole way, I didn't want the pretzels, leave the Sprite, just please get me on the ground fast. And as we're heading in towards Louisville, my colleague and I were sitting there and we're watching the runway going one way and the plane going another way. This was a new experience for me. And I thought, I'm not a pilot, but that doesn't look good. <laughs> so we played Top Gun and Maverick nails it back into the atmosphere. I didn't know that plane had that much power. And we go around for a second time. Same experience, Top Gun back into the sky. At this point, guy who has never flown sitting three rows back is yelling oh god we're gonna die <laughs> really and the business class traveler who's read his newspaper the whole time who's done this a million times 
puts the paper down. I'm like, that's not good. Stewardess, really quiet, strapped in with like all of the stuff that goes around her. It's not looking good at this point. Lady behind me's crying. We're pulling out every single pastoral care technique that we've got, and I'm praying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Over and over and over again. And so the pilot comes on uh, the intercom and says, I think we have just enough gas to get to Nashville. Pilot friends out there, next time just lie to me. (laughs) We have so much gas, we can go around three times. Like the universe, three times, we're going to be fine. So fourth time, headed into Nashville, we don't land. The Lord is my light, my salvation, of whom shall I fear? And finally on the fifth time, They get the plane on the ground and everybody's clapping and I'm giving thanks and lady behind me is weeping because she's going to see her kids and guy in the back is saying, that was awesome, let's do it again. And I said, you better go visit your chaplain when you get on base. Because the truth of God is contained in scripture, it sees us through not only good days, but hard days too, doesn't it? In many ways, that was my John Wesley Moravian moment. It was just a different kind of ship. And the truths that we get in in the Bible, they sustain us. They give us hope. They encourage us. They become our source of life, of trust, and our strength in the struggles. And that's why Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And because of that, I want to give you the second lifesaver of the, of the day. Scripture is the book, friends, because the events are inspired, the writers are inspired, the writings are inspired, and because God inspires me as I read the pages to grasp for him. What I want you to recognize is of these truths that are contained in Scripture, it's not just the book itself that's inspired. It's that God has, since the beginning of creation, been authoring a story all along, and He kept it for us to continue to inspire us today, to know Him, to love Him, to reach for Him, to become like Him. And the reason, the reason this is possible is this word breathed out by God that we get in the scripture. Say it with me, breathed out by God. Now this word breathed out is really a, a, a collection of two different words. The word that we get for God and a version of the word that we get for spirit. And the idea behind it is God's provision of wisdom, God's guiding the writings of Scripture, which are inspired and holy, are unlike any other kind of writings in this world. I mean, you can learn a lot from a book, can't you? If people would read more, the world might be a different place. Are, are we tracking? Absolutely. But the writings of Holy Scripture stand out and above any other kind of writing that's out there. Because God himself has been intimately directly involved why did god give us these scriptures well it's 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 very very simple to change us to help us reach for him 
And here's the thing, if, if, if you look at the Bible as just being a book, what you get is inspirational reading. That was nice. Or I didn't like that. And more often than not, you get folks who love the New Testament and hate the Old. And let me help you, friends. Like, it's not old or new, it's one big thing. Okay, if it's just the good book, sure, the Bible, it's inspired and authoritative, but man, I, I can't get near it, I can't understand it, I'm not sure that I want to, I just want to know what it says and make sure that I don't stray too far from it. But if the Bible is the book, I realize the events, the writers, the text itself, the hearers are all inspired by the Holy Spirit and are authoritative and living for my life, and that's the reason why it's breathed out for God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So we can become complete and equipped for every good work. You know, the reason the scriptures are the book is for the simple reason they help us become the people God not only loves, but the kind of people that God desires. here's the thing you're going to find more people in your life who see the bible as a book rather than the book so what do we do i want you to remember to start with you don't have to convert anybody in fact it's better if the holy spirit does that work you don't have to convert anybody you just have to put a stone in their shoe and so let's say that you come upon somebody who says the bible's filled with all kinds of errors it's outdated it's used to harm people so on and so forth first thing you do is begin to ask some great questions really tell me more how specifically have you seen this happen which scriptures specifically are you talking about i want to try to understand what it is that you're sharing in this moment begin to add some depth to the conversation and as you get the dialogue going then you have the opportunity uh, for step two to happen in the conversation and that's to reverse the burden of proof so more often than not, I think, folks, what we've tended to do is think that the burden of proof is always on us to prove that something about our faith is true. Let the person who made the claim substantiate what it is they have to say. Okay, so you said the Bible is used more often to harm people. Does that make the Bible bad or what people do with the Bible off? Help me understand. How have you seen this come to pass? How does that undercut the authority of Scripture? But reverse the burden of proof. More often than not, what you'll find are a number of logical fallacies that are involved. The two big ones today are the appeal to, to hypocrisy. So here's what I do. I go, well, the Bible isn't true or the Bible is bad because of what people do with it. Nobody can live it. Well, that doesn't make the Bible bad. It actually proves the needs for, for God's grace, right? Because we can't do it all. And, and the other one is the straw man argument. So people, instead of focusing on the argument at hand, they get off on a tangent. Well, you know, you want to pick on this group of people, but what about your stuff? Totally agree. There's a laundry list of it. But still, what do you do with this? So reverse the burden of proof. And you have to consider, is their explanation possible? Is it plausible? Is it probable? 
And if they don't respond and instead try to place the burden of proof back on you, don't. In fact, Greg Kokel in his book says, use the professor's ploy, make them the expert. Well, you know, you made this claim. You said that the Bible isn't true because of these reasons. I want to try to understand what it is that you have to say. Prove, prove me wrong. I'm open to listening. And if they say, well, that's not what I said, well, then narrate the debate. Well, you made this claim, so I asked you these questions, and then you said this, and then so I said, well, you're the expert. I really want to hear from you. But you can have these conversations with folks, and at, at the root of it is a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of listening. And here's the thing. In the end, the scriptures, the scriptures are the book. And the reason they're the book is very, very simple. It's the one book that we don't read to finish. We read it to change. And the reason we change is because God's inspired it all. And he wants to change our hearts to become more like his. And that's why it's worth reading every day in your life. I guarantee you, open its pages and God will speak to you and become the source of truth and the foundation of your hope in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Uh, we thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you have inspired the events, the writers, the writings, and each one of us as we read Scripture for ourselves. And God, the reason is you, you want to give us uh, a foundation a foundation for the truths that guide our lives. A foundation for the hope that's ours in, in Jesus Christ. An understanding of, of what you've done for each one of us to forgive us, to free us, to help us become more like you. We thank you that in these pages of scripture we recognize you created all things good. And yet we've rebelled. And yet you rescued us. And the way you rescued us was that you became like each one of us. And as Jesus became flesh and blood, fully God and fully human, he gave his life for each one of us on a cross and rose again on the third day. And it's those truths, God, that inspire us, that challenge us, and that call us forth into your glorious grace. Help us live into it, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.